Have you ever uh, gotten something, received something that you felt you didn't deserve? Um, I guess that could go both ways. Maybe it was a really awesome gift that you got that someone kind of gave you out of the blue. Maybe it was a speeding ticket that you feel was unjust. Uh, we're going to focus on probably the good side of that today in Second Chronicles 35, but uh, the entire Bible, oh, forgot I got to stay in front of the mic today, the entire Bible really is a story, is a, a whole collection of accounts of, on a broad level, it's, it's about people getting what we don't deserve. One of these accounts uh, we're going to be studying today in Second Chronicles 35, um, it's the story of, of one of the greatest kings of Judah who is used by God in, in amazing ways to bring about spiritual revival to his nation. And he brings the people back to God out of darkness, out of sin, out of self-sufficiency, out of idolatry into true and spiritual worship. In my humble opinion, he also has one of the coolest names in the whole Old Testament. It's King Josiah. And so, uh, while it's all going super well, while he's following the Lord, while he's kind of at the peak of his, of his reign, he messes up and he pays the price for it. And so, the reason that we should care about this story, about this account, this true account of his life, is because it has implications, it has extreme implications for you and me. When we die, we're either going to get exactly what we deserve, and spoiler alert, it's not good. Or, by the grace of Jesus, we will get precisely what we don't deserve. Eternal life with him. And so here's the big idea of Second Chronicles 35, 20 to 27. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Just before we get going into the uh, actual text this morning, I'd like to provide some context because we are jumping in in the middle of his biography. Uh, journey with me back in your minds, if you will, to the year around 600 BC, Josiah the king, not me, just the rest of the sermon. If I say Josiah, I'm not talking about myself in the third person. I'm talking about the guy I was named after. Josiah is standing before all of Israel and Judah. God's chosen people who had lost their way and forgotten the God who had blessed them, who had freed them from slavery, who had given them their land to call their own, who had delivered them from countless oppressive tyrants trying to take back what was rightfully theirs. But today is different. Today the people of God remember him and how he delivered them from slavery in Egypt and they're celebrating. They're celebrating the first Passover, which was one of the most important festivals in the Jewish calendar. They're celebrating this Passover for the first time in, in who knows how many years. Today is a great, great day. And as Josiah looks over all these people that God has entrusted to his leadership, he can't help but just reminisce on the past year. Six years ago, the nation was littered with worship centers uh, dedicated to false gods that Josiah's people had adopted from the neighboring countries around them. They had sacrificed to these Asherah and Baal through priests who had dedicated their lives to this idolatry. And frankly, Israel and Judah had been living for themselves. God's precious people whom he loved were 
indistinguishable from the pagan nations around them. His people didn't even know who he was. But then there is this amazing day, the day that the law was found in God's temple. These scrolls which Moses had written, the very words of God himself to the people of Israel. And he's sitting in this palace, Josiah is sitting in his palace while he reads, or while his secretary reads to him from the law. But instead of feeling comforted by God's words, he begins to feel terror. What he's hearing is the opposite of of how he's living, of how his people are living. And this feeling of dread slowly begins to grow with every word. The tightness in his chest as he realizes how much the people he ruled over and even himself had forgotten about their heritage and the God who had saved them and blessed them. And in, in this moment of just shame and fear, he tears his clothes and he falls to the cold floor, weeping. How could this have happened? We're God's chosen people. We're supposed to be sinless and clean. We're supposed to be an example to the people around us, and yet I feel disgusting. But after this initial shock, the king is, is filled, with, filled with resolve because this has to change. And so the past year after that law was read, read to him in his palace, was the best year that Judah had seen in decades. Josiah helped reform his, his nation and the people once remember their God. And so as he stands before his people celebrating the most magnificent Passover, Passover festival since the days of Samuel, he thanks God silently in his heart. This is his mountaintop moment. This is the moment when things can't get any better. One of those times we all love when we can just step back and, and look at everything and be like, yeah, this is perfect. Don't you wish life could always be like that? And so Josiah has brought the nation of Judah from, from a life of sinfulness, of idolatry, this just moral cesspool. And he has brought the nation back to God. They're once again living and thriving and worshiping him. This is a huge, huge moment in their history. And so that's what the uh, kind of last two chapters have been talking about. And we'll pick up there in... Uh, Verse in, in 35, verse 20. After all of this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates. And Josiah went out to meet him. And so this king of Egypt, he's going out, he's marching out to war with another nation, probably Babylon. And Josiah, who has nothing to do with any of this, intercepts them intercepts the Egyptian army, probably trying to impress the Babylonians and form an alliance or something like that. And Josiah went out to meet him, but in verse 21 we pick up, but he sent envoys to him, saying, what have we to do with each other, king of Judah? I'm not coming against you this day, but against the house with which I'm at war. And God has commanded me to hurry, cease opposing God who is with me lest he destroy you. This is really interesting. This is one of the few moments in, in the scriptures where we see a foreign king. Uh, Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. They had hundreds and hundreds of gods, false gods that they worshipped. And yet, 
he speaks on behalf of the one true God to the faithful, uh, godly king of Judah. So I think what we can take from this is, is just to be observant. Um, God often, often speaks to us in ways that we might not expect. We need to listen carefully uh, for his word. Anyways, back to verse uh, 22. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Nico from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away! For I'm badly wounded. And so his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in his second chariot and brought him back to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah the prophet also uttered a lament for Josiah. And all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in their laments to this day. They made these a rule in Israel. And behold, they're written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his good deeds according to what is written in the law of the Lord and his acts first and last, behold, they are written in the books of the kings of Israel and Judah. And so this morning I'd like us to consider uh, the sin that we see in the text and the sin we experience today. What we see in these verses is troubling. The author of this book has just spent the last two chapters recording all of these amazing things that Josiah did. His, his leadership was incredible in, in bringing the people a total 180 back to the Lord. Especially considering how young he was. He was only 16 when he began to do all of this. And so as an aside, just don't, don't let people tell you that you are too young to make a difference for God. Josiah wouldn't have even been old enough to drive by himself today, and yet he began a revival in his nation before even hearing the Bible. Follow God wholeheartedly. No matter how old you are, he will use you in powerful ways. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12 is saying, let no one despise you for your youth or don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct, in love and faith and impurity. Josiah is described not only as doing these outward actions that just seem so right, so good, but also pursuing the Lord with all his heart and all his mind, which is something that uh, was said of King David as a, as, as a description, as a man after God's own heart. Josiah was a righteous, godly man, and yet after all the good he's done, after wholeheartedly pursuing the Lord with this tunnel vision, he messes up and he disobeys the command of God and he pays the price for it. Something that I'd like to point out in this particular instance is that Josiah does not seek the will of the Lord here. He doesn't ask anyone actually for advice. He makes this de decision right on the spot without seemingly a second thought. He gets arrogant. You see that in verse 22. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him but disguised himself in order to fight with him. 
he did not listen to the words of Nico from the mouth of God. They came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. Despite Nico's warnings, Josiah goes ahead with his plan to go to war. He doesn't care what God says. He doesn't care what anyone else says. He goes ahead with his own plan. And he's quickly shot and wounded. Even the best, most godly leader that God had given Israel in decades sins in a huge way. And he pays the price for it. And so, those of us that are leaders here today, whether that's uh, somewhere in the church or uh, parents leading, leading your families, or if you're at work, in a leadership position, if you have really a degree of influence on anyone, listen very closely to this. Pay attention because this account highlights God's perfection. He is so holy that even those who has a, have accomplished so much for his glory and for the good of God's people are not beyond his discipline. They're not outside his will. No matter how much good you've done, no matter how many lives you may have changed, no matter how much money you have made for your company or how good your grades are, how many likes you get on Instagram, you are not beyond the discipline of God. He is so holy that he will not let anyone get away with sin, especially those in leadership who are called to this high standard. This scene for me just brings to mind so many stories we've heard over the past few years of pastors and church leaders who have impacted our world on global levels. They've written songs that have been sung by millions of people. They've preached all around the world. And yet they fall from their place of leadership because of apostasy or moral failure. It's a sad but sobering reminder of what Paul writes in Galatians 6, 7, that God will not be mocked. As you know, it's not only famous... Christian celebrities that sin. If any of us in this room had all of our mess-ups publicized like those uh, celebrity pastors and worship leaders have, our reputations probably wouldn't be much better than theirs. And our sin, just like Josiah's sin, demands discipline. It has consequences that are lasting. Sin demands punishment because God will not be mocked by our selfish egos he won't be mocked when we treat our family and friends like dirt, when we lie, when we put ourselves before other people over and over and over again. Our, every time we sin, we actively reject God and his will and desires for our best, instead choosing to do our own thing. We forget, just like the nation of Judah did in this story, how much he has done for us. For me, it's so easy to read the story of Judah and of Josiah and ask, like, how stupid are you? How, how possibly could you forget all of this stuff that God's done for you? Everything was going so well. How could you mess this up? And I think about how I do the exact same thing. King Josiah's sin was disobeying the Lord. How, how often do I do things that I know are wrong? Do I deserve to die for that? 
King Josiah died for his sin, then we probably don't deserve much better. Sin demands punishment because God is holy and cannot and will not tolerate sin amongst his people or in his presence. So the same sin that killed this king will kill us too. So there's this problem in the text then. There's this problem of Josiah's disobedience and his pride. He ignores God and instead acts as if he's in charge, as if he's got it all figured out. There's this sin problem in his life, tainting the way he thinks and makes decisions. How he views himself. And while, while he's living the dream on this mountaintop moment, how things couldn't have gotten any better, he messes up and everything comes crashing down. And that same sin is still alive and well in our world today as well. Our world today. Church leaders fall from ministry because of moral failure and unchecked, unaccountable authority. And, and we too sin every single day in our words, what we say to people, in our thoughts, what we think about others and ourselves and God, in our actions, what we do because of what we say and how we think. There's this sin problem in the story and that same problem exists today. And the fatal consequences of King Josiah's pride should cause us to consider how weighty sin is. It's not something that should be treated flippantly. It's not like, oh well. Our attitude towards our own sin should be more like Josiah's when the law was first read to him. He tore his clothes and he wept. Sin should, should deeply, deeply grieve us. It's not a joke. It's not okay. The same sin that killed King Josiah will kill us too. It doesn't end there though. If it did, that would be a pretty bad sermon. There is grace to be seen in this text as well, despite Josiah's pride and sin. There's grace. Read with me again verse 24 to the end. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in his second chariot and brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also uttered a lament for Josiah and all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in their laments to this day. They made these a rule in Israel. Behold, they're written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah, his good deeds, according, what, according to what is written in the law of the Lord and his acts, first and last, behold, they are written in the books, book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Here we see a man who, although he ignored God and instead chose to act against him, who sinned gravely and died because of this arrogance, we see a man who is not defined by his sin. When Josiah is introduced as an eight-year-old boy in chapter 34, uh, he, he's introduced as a king who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And his eulogy in this chapter, the verses we just read, immediately following his worst moment, 
His eulogy talks about his good deeds and his faithfulness to the Lord. Yeah, he was deeply flawed. He was sinful. And his sin killed him. But this is not the story of a king who started out at the top and ended at the bottom. His story is not the same as Macbeth or Harvey Dent or Anakin Skywalker. This is not a fall from grace. This is grace in the fall. He's not defined by his sin. And in fact, he's not even really defined by his good actions either. No, when you read the, the account of his life, it's clear that his good and faithful acts, all these good deeds that his eulogy talks about are driven by this deep passion and love for the Lord. And so yeah, his eulogy mentions all the good stuff he did like any good eulogy does, but these good actions, the revival that he brought to Judah, they aren't just good deeds. They're examples. They're, there's this outpouring of the obedience driven by his love for the Lord. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writes about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. Now this is true in spiritual worship. This, is, uh, this living sacrifice, what he means by that, is dedicating our lives to God in a way that honors him, that's pleasing to him. And this is the story of Josiah's life. He went against the norm. He went against all odds. Against what his father did and what his grandfather did. Against the entire culture of his country and chose the more difficult way of life in order to bring, bring glory to God. This is living sacrifice. This is worship. And so all of the things that he did in his eulogy, although they are good, they are not the ultimate measure of his life. This isn't a story of a man defined by sin, nor a man saved through all of the good things he did. It's the story of a good and gracious and holy God who wouldn't let sin go unpunished, but still showed grace to a man despite his imperfection. God's grace covered Josiah's life from the beginning all the way to the very end. And because of the grace of God, not because of anything that Josiah did in his own power. Because of the grace of God, he led his entire nation to worship God again. He's remembered, even by us today, thousands of years later, as a good king who was loved and missed by his people. So this is good news for us, because just how Josiah's identity does not depend on how much good or how much he sinned, Neither does our identity depend on that. My life, your life, when they come to an end, will not be measured by God on the basis of how many good things we did against how many times we messed up. It's not this cosmic scale of right and wrong. If that were the case, you and I are doomed. That's not how God operated in Josiah's day, and that's not how he operates today either. And so the reason that this account is in the Bible is exactly to show that King Josiah was inadequate, just like we are. He was a king who did a lot of good and a lot of bad. He was flawed, but this flawed king's life is, is supposed to leave us with that same kind of empty feeling that you get when the movie doesn't have a happy ending. Feeling of like, that's it? That's the end. There's got to be more than that. 
his life, in fact, is, is supposed to be kind of disappointing. And Josiah is just one of many. Every single king from the beginning of time, from every nation, from every culture, from every time period, every king, every prime minister, every president has been killed by sin. Because death is not normal. It entered the world through our sin. And so every single king, every single political ruler since sin has entered the rule, the world has been killed by it. But there is one king who is different. One king who was not killed by his own sin, but because of the sin of the world. This king didn't deserve to die like every other king before him or after him, yet he chose to die on behalf of everyone else. This king who has no flaws, who does not sin, who does not lose, who does not fail, he's a king who will transform mountaintop moments into a mountaintop eternity. And this king wants us in his kingdom. His name is King Jesus. And so, as a Christian, my life is no longer defined by me, but by King Jesus, who loves me and gave up his life for me. Jesus lived a perfect life. And he died the death that I deserve, that I currently still deserve for my sin. Jesus died for me so that God does not look at me and see the sin that is thoroughly seeped into every atom of my existence, but instead the perfect life lived by Jesus is all that he sees. Jesus carried the weight of my sin and died the death that I deserve, and yet death could not hold him because on the third day he rose and God's wrath against sin had been satisfied. Jesus' blood washed all of my sins away. His grace has touched every aspect of my being. He calls me loved. He calls me his son. And my father, after adopting a hopeless, broken sinner like me, treats me like Jesus and gives me the full inheritance that I don't deserve and allows me to live in his presence forever. I don't deserve any of that. How could I even think of asking for that much when I when we look at our lives honestly, when we're truly vulnerable with ourselves and how our attitudes towards our spouses can be over nothing or about the thoughts, the thoughts that come into my mind about people that annoy me, how I sometimes just choose not to read my Bible for no good reason just because I don't feel like it, how I neglect my relationship with the Lord. I see this, this broken shell of a man who really doesn't know what he's doing. I would be happy with any bit of Jesus that I could get when, I, when I'm really honest with myself. But God doesn't just give us the bare minimum. He gives us the full, unadulterated, complete blessing of his love and affection and grace by allowing us to come into his presence when we die and glory in him forever. This is the king that I serve. How could I not want to do half the good that King Josiah did? This God deserves all of my worship and all of my life. This is my story, and this can be your story too. If you just come to this King Jesus and tell him that he can be the Lord of your life and the Savior of your soul. 
And so the same sin that killed King Josiah will kill us too. But the same king that saved King Josiah will save us as well. The same God that covered King Josiah's life in grace, has also, who has also covered mine in grace, wants to cover yours as well. He deeply loves you. He loves you more than you could possibly know. And when you come to trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, who loves you so much that he gave up his life and died the worst death imaginable in order to take the punishment that you deserve because of your sin, when you do this simple thing and trust in him for forgiveness and for salvation, your life is no more defined by the sin or the flaws that you carry than Josiah's was. Your life is defined by Jesus, the only perfect king who ever lived. And God adopts you as his child and calls you his son, his daughter. This is the gospel. And so what do we deserve? It's a a difficult pill to swallow, but all of us deserve to die as King Josiah did for his sin. But God, who is holy and merciful and loving, allows some of us to know him in the way that Josiah did as his Lord and Savior. And so we are getting the exact opposite of what we deserve. That's the best news we could ever get. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus if you're empty. Come to him if you're tired of this life. Come to him when you're depressed and defeated and hopeless and confused. And come to him if you're not. Come to him when you mess up big and your mountaintop life becomes a slow, painful crawl through the valley. He wants you to. Josiah's life is an example of how holy God is, how sinful people are, but how gracious God is and how fortunate we are. And so when you feel like doing your own thing and you know it's wrong don't do it take seriously the sin in your life grieve it but also take comfort in the fact that every time we sin we can turn away from sin and turn to Jesus for forgiveness he is the only hope we have but what else could we possibly ask for would you please pray with me Father God we've sung today that you tell us when we are weak, when we are thirsty, when we are scared that we should come to you but God we've also sung that you have come to us Lord we are so grateful for the gospel and the fact that although we are sinful and broken people that uh, are flawed that often choose to do our own thing, that you love us unconditionally. And that this invitation for us to come to you is open and always there. Lord, would you convict us of the sin in our own hearts and help us to rejoice and glorify you in the fact that your grace is sufficient enough to cover all of our sin. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.